1: Hey, hey, everybody. <laughs> it occurred to me we never talked Go ahead. about who was leading out. <laughs> I know, me either. Go ahead. <laughs> well, hey, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. This is Katie Weaver here with my sister, partner in crime. Uh, there's something else. Uh, co host. And co host. <laughs> now I'm all off. Christy Brower. Hello. Hello. Hey, everybody. We're back for another live stream. Doodaloo. We are, we are popping up again because guess who is back in court? Resting Toad Face himself, Chad DeBell. There you go. Good work.
2: Yep. <laughs> I'm just yep. here for. I'm just here to do the impressions.
1: She's just here to act it out. Uh, yeah, back in court today. Uh, it's another motion hearing. We don't even know what the motion is. The uh, court paperwork was very brief on details. A bunch of it was blacked out. We hope this isn't just yet another, uh, you know, door in our face while they discuss things that us mere mortals can't seem to handle. Right. Um, but we're just waiting right now for Judge Boyce's page to go live. Uh, yeah, so that's what's going on. That's why we're here.
2: Yes, it is. I don't know. This could be
1: a There's plethora a of or... out there. Yeah. Yeah.
2: We know it's not change of venue because that is scheduled. Mhm, and they talked about pushing the DNA back a Mhm. Then there was some behind the scenes thing going on. What we've heard is there's some kind of a restraining order being filed against Lori, and isn't there some discovery request out there for mm-hmm. all the stuff Lori has said? Yeah all that stuff, because they're trying to separate these cases. This also could be about the joinder plea. Yeah. No, sadly, no. It's no, not, not, a plea. not a plea. It could
1: be about the joinder, though. It could be a separation. could be.
2: You know, right. at some point, they've got to separate these cases.
1: Yeah. We are not sure. It
2: could just be a lot of arguing over paperwork and, you know, boring stuff <laughs> like that but every once in a while (laughs) force Lori to make her med to take her meds by force. So that, that has come up. Mm -hmm. We haven't really heard the ruling on that, but the, and we may not, but the prosecutor did, uh, ask for that.
3: Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And, you know, basically the prosecutor's like, uh, do what you gotta do to make her be able to come to court, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The state, I think is prepared to, uh, Let them take whatever medical lengths they need to, to get her there. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, and in the position that she's in, um, they do have the right to request that. So it's very possible that there's going to be some kind of a change there. She must be, she must be refusing meds. Mm Yep. Yeah. Well, we don't know that for sure, Jr. because so much of this is behind the scenes, but there's been a, A filing by the prosecutor's office asking the judge to basically tell the hospital they have to force her to take medication so that she can uh, be fit to stand trial. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I believe that she does have a medical exception and that means that they do have the right then to make those decisions for her. Yeah, there was a motion that the state did not have complete at the last hearing, Tricia. That's right. I was trying to remember which one it was. There were so many where they just had long, you know, sort of a weird disjointed conversation about all this stuff that they were not prepared to meet on, but they met. Oh, here we are. They are live right now, though, so I'm going to bring them up.
3: That is correct, Your Honor. All right. Mr.
4: Wood and Ms. Smith are also appearing for the state. Appearing on behalf of the defense is Mr. Pryor. Mr. Pryor, your client is not present. Does he intend to appear at this hearing today?
0: He does not, Judge. Thank you.
4: All right. Did you advise him of his right to be present for this hearing this afternoon?
0: I did, Your Honor.
4: And is it your representation then that he agreed to waive his right to be present for this hearing? Yes, Judge. Very well. We'll excuse his presence then. Uh, Mr. Archibald is here representing the co defendant in the companion state case, which is case 211624. Uh, Mr. Archibald, do you know if Mr. Means was intending to appear today? Your Honor, I talked to him this morning. He was on the road. He didn't know if he'd be able to appear or not. I understand this hearing is not in the Lori Ballow case today since the case is stayed. But uh, just in Mr. Daybell's case only. Okay, everyone. I think we've got all counsel present and accounted for. Then, so at this time, uh, the court has reviewed the motion. I'll note it was filed uh, just two days ago, but that was on a scheduling order the court discussed with counsel. So there would not be an objection to hearing this on shortened notice, since the issue had been raised previously. So with that in mind. Um, I would indicate there's not a any filed response. Are you going to present argument in response, Mr. Pryor, or did you file anything in response?
0: I don't anticipate a response, Judge. Simply what I anticipate saying, basically, is the manner in which this court is conducting this process, I, uh, we find appropriate, and I'll leave it at that.
4: Okay, thanks, Mr. Pryor. So, Ms. Blake, if you'd like to present argument on the motion at this time, please do.
3: Thank you, Your Honor. Um, I would indicate, just so the record is clear, a motion, the same motion was also filed in Ms. Ballow's case number as well. Given the nature of her case being stayed, the state understands that we will not hear it in that case today, but the same motion is currently pending in case numbers ending in 1624. Okay. Um, So... As the court noted, the the court and counsel has received a copy of the state's motion, which was just filed a couple days ago. We recognize that as a pretty quick filing. Um, However, this is an issue that the state has continued to bring up and have concerns with. Um, It's the state's position that this case was, um, while we have two case numbers, that this was actually returned as a single joint indictment. Um, It was the state's intent and the state's prerogative to choose to file it as one case present it to the grand jury as one case and request a single indictment be returned, listing both co-defendants in one case number. Um, ultimately, this ended up being split into two case numbers um, at the outset of the case. Um, as time went on, the court did issue an order on August 6th, kind of explaining that. However, it has still left the state with a couple concerns. So the state looked at Idaho Criminal Rule 8 which deals with the joinder of offenses and joinder of defendants. So specifically, we're looking at the joinder of defendants. We do have um, multiple offenses charged in the same indictment as well though. But with regard to the joinder of defendants, the state's interpretation of that rule is that if it's a common scheme and plan, the state has the option to file as one. I think there's multiple cases that discuss severance and they talk about severance under two different theories. The first theory would be, or the first argument would be under rule eight, under Idaho criminal rule eight, if a party wanted to argue, and generally that would be the defendant, wanted to argue that there was not a common scheme or plan or series of transactions, and that the case was initially improperly joined, a court could determine that that was the case and separate them. It appears that a court may also... um, Have the option to determine that they feel that it was improperly joined under Criminal Rule 8. The other way in which a case can be severed in Idaho is under Idaho Criminal Rule 14. And I know that we're not arguing the severance today, but I think there's some crossover between these two issues, and so the state had discussed that as well. What's unclear under Idaho Criminal Rule 14 is if a court can sue a sponte sever a case or if it needs to be a motion brought by one of the parties. Case law in Idaho continually specifically refers to the burden being on the party bringing the motion, and most often that is the defendant. So it's unclear from case law um, the interpretation of that criminal rule 14. However, what does appear to be clear is if a severance is requested under rule 14 or if a case is severed under rule 14, that there has to be a finding of prejudice or there has to be some prejudice to either a defendant or the state. Um, Most of the case law in Idaho really deals with uh, whether or not the joinder of offenses was prejudicial, more so than really getting into the joinder of defendants, whether or not that's prejudicial. So in this case, where it sits right now is we have two case numbers and two tracks, um, but they are supposed to end up in trial together. So there has not been an official severance granted, but it appears to be a partial severance because we have two different tracks of the case. So generally speaking, and case law references this quite frequently, um, the idea of joinder of cases, there's multiple reasons to do it. But one of the biggest ones is judicial economy, also um, not adding additional burden to the state to present multiple witnesses, to have witnesses come in multiple times, present the same argument multiple times, and move forward in that way. So in this case, where we have, where we're at is exactly that position of having to argue the same motions multiple times, bring in the same witnesses multiple times, and to try to track this case together, um, the state has just seen that there could be some issues that may arise. So just looking at some of the pending motions we have, such as the motion to change venue, I think we're put in a position where moving forward on an issue like that, Ms. Vallow's case has stayed. or Ms. Vallow's side of the case is stayed, so she wouldn't be there to make argument or her counsel, and a decision regarding Mr. Daybell's trial may be made.
4: So um, let, me, let me ask on that then, and this would relate to any other coming motion, is it the state's position that I should grant this, have a single case and everything is state?
3: That would be our position at this point in time, Your Honor. And so we we did try to find case law here in Idaho, and it seems to be a novel issue um, regarding co-defendants in the stay of a case. However, the federal courts have dealt with this issue quite frequently. And the state does recognize that the federal system is a little bit different. They have some rules that are a little more black and white, and they have something called the Speedy Trial Act that they turn to. However, um, when we look at the Speedy Trial Act, it's similar to Speedy Trial in the sense that it is a calculation regarding when a defendant is taken to trial. And the federal courts have consistently found that if one defendant is um, causing a stay in a case, or I think the case law says, um, if a delay is attributable to any one defendant, it's charged against a single clock, thus making the delay applicable to all defendants. If a defendant actually brings a motion to sever and it's denied, the court changes that analysis in the federal system and they look at a reasonable delay analysis is applied to decide whether or not the delay should reasonably be attributable to another defendant and how to add that into their calculations. So again, the state recognizes their calculations are different. However, in several different um, case, federal cases cited by the state, the courts routinely found that joint trials serve the interests of justice by avoiding the scandal and inequity of inconsistent verdicts. And they found that there, while they had heard argument from co-defendants saying, because one co-defendant had delayed the case, that that was um, prejudicial to the other co-defendant or a violation of the Speedy Trial Act, the courts consistently have found that it wasn't. Even if there was a motion to sever that was denied and they were applying the reasonable analysis standard, they still found that it was not overly prejudicial and they found that keeping the trials together was, was appropriate. There wasn't a violation of the speedy trial, and there wasn't a violation of the court's discretion in denying the severance. All
4: right, Ms. Blake, though on that point, would you agree there's got to be limits on the delay? The delays I reviewed in the cases you've cited, four months, one of them talked about seven months. We've already got a three-month delay based on a stay in the Vallow case. We've just ordered an additional 180 days that where that stayed, And there's not only a statutory right, there's a constitutional right to a speedy trial, even if it's waived, it's not waived forever. And I guess my question I'm posing to you is, again, so your position is that as of right now, Mr. Daybell's case needs to be stayed for 180 days because Vala's case is, and in that interim, he's not allowed to bring any motions, have any hearings, or move the case forward towards trial because of her competency issue. Is that where you're headed with this request?
3: Yes, Your Honor, I think that would be accurate. And again, looking at the speedy trial issue, because I think that's part of what those federal cases were focused on. um, In State v. Lopez, 144, Idaho 349, it cites to State v. Youngblood and indicates an unequivocal written waiver of speedy trial signed by defendant is dispositive of a later motion to dismiss on that basis. So the state does recognize, and even with the waiver of speedy trial, the state has never argued or would never argue that Mr. Daybell's case should be held in perpetuity. We believe absolutely at some point, the state may join in a motion to sever or may believe that's appropriate. However, at this point in time, the state's concern is that the state opted to file this as one case. It appears to have been partially severed. And the concern is in continuing to move forward on motions only on Mr. Daybell's side of the case, we're concerned that it appears that it will eventually result in a severance or result in problems if Ms. Vallow is not allowed to be heard at a change of venue. And if Ms. Vallow isn't allowed to be heard at a motion to sever, because she may have, maybe she joined in the motion, maybe she wouldn't, it's unknown at this point in time. But it appears that if we go forward with these motions, then we run into the problem of, do we violate some of her rights in not allowing her to be heard? And one of the other pending motions is with regard to the consumption of DNA. And part of the problem there, and I think Mr. Wood briefly addressed this at the last hearing, is the concern is if the motion is granted and allows the court to consume the DNA, then would we be barred from using it against Ms. Vallow because she won't be allowed to be heard. Um, And so I think it results in some concerns that way as well. So the state wouldn't argue that this should be held forever in perpetuity or stayed forever, but we do believe that it is appropriately filed as one case, and unless it's severed under either the analysis required by Idaho Criminal Rule 8 or Idaho Criminal Rule 14, and there's a finding of prejudice or a finding that it was improperly joined at the outset of the case, that it would remain joined, um, at least in the interim. Again, the state recognizes this position may change and at some point this may need to be addressed. But we believe we're early enough on in the case and that case law clearly supports joinder of trials, even if there are co defendants and even if there is a delay by one co defendant, um, that it doesn't automatically require any kind of a severance. And we're just concerned about that. In addition, the other concern of the state is um, with the current uh, order and to only file documents in each respective side of the case. The concern is if this does go to a joint trial, which is the current order, the defense right now is deprived of seeing some of the filings. Uh, The state at this point has been providing courtesy copies, but I think currently uh, the defendants may not be getting copies from the other defendants' filings because we're filing in two separate cases. And in moving towards a joint trial, it would appear that um, that may be problematic if defense is not aware of all the filings that have occurred in a a case that's going to trial together. So that was the other concern that the state had. Um, But I think that covers essentially, um, as I indicated, I know we would provided the motion that has some other case law and things. And if the court has additional questions, I'm happy to answer them, but that would be the state's position at this time is that it should be joined back into one case number, one case heading indicating both co-defendants that the cases should run together, meaning all filings should be done in one case number, all hearings should be held in one case and we should proceed forward. Um, Again, the state's position could change depending on the timeliness. We do recognize that at some point um, it may be more appropriate to sever them or to move Mr. Daybell's case forward, but we think we're still early on in the proceedings. to have that requirement right now. And especially with the waiver of speedy trial at this point, I don't think that we're running afoul of Mr. Daybell's due process or constitutional rights. At this point in time, the state worries the opposite will happen if we continue down two tracks and that we may run afoul of the defendant's due process rights um, and constitutional rights as well. So that's the state's position unless the court has any additional questions.
4: Okay, I appreciate your argument on that. Mr. Pryor initially indicated uh, you didn't have any response other than what you said at the outset after hearing the argument there. Do you have any responsive argument?
0: Unfortunately, Judge, I have something briefly to touch on. Very well. Go ahead. Thank you, Judge. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. Um, Judge, it seems to me that they're more concerned about case numbers on cases than they are about the law that applies in this case. Uh, This case hasn't been severed. This judge You in particular have not severed this case. There has not been a ruling severing the case. What this court has done is simply said this. I'm not going to infringe on Mr. Daybell's constitutional rights to effectively defend the charges against him. Because if we do what the state's suggesting, and the court obviously was astute enough to catch on this, that if we do what the state is suggesting, then there's a stay on Mr. Daybell. That means I'm not allowed to do anything until the state decides that they're going to agree to let this be severed. Well, unfortunately, it's not their decision. If they want it severed, they can file a motion. I have filed a motion to sever. I filed a motion for change of venue, and and I believe I filed all the appropriate motions at this point. What the court has done is said, listen, for the purposes of of I-Court and the way things are identified on the I-Court system that we're now using, uh, it's not inappropriate for Mr. Daybell to have a case number and for Ms. Daybell to have a case number. It's also not unusual, Judge, in the number of years I've been practicing, for when cases are joined, there's two case numbers on there with two different defendants. Sometimes there's multiple charges on each of the defendants and they're joined as well. So what's happening here is not particularly unusual. What it is happening is is that the, the court is allowing Mr. Daybell to effectively do what he thinks is necessary to defend him in this matter and not have to wait for the state to decide, well, maybe we'll sever. Well, unfortunately, Judge, it's not their decision. It's this court's decision. And this court is given the inherent right to dictate the process, the procedure, and the manner in which cases proceed. Now, when the court put a stay on Ms. Vallow's case... The court was astute enough to say, "I'm not going to infringe on Mr. Daybell's rights, and I'm going to allow him to do whatever is necessary and continue to move this along." Because if we wait for the state to decide when we're going to sever, is that going to be a year from now? Is Mr. Daybell going to be in jail for two years until we decide that? Well, maybe we'll go forward, and then at that point, Judge, when we decide to go forward, if Miss Vallo becomes competent in the future, at that point. Are we going to be allowed to start all over again for another year and file all the necessary motions? Obviously, the court has enough experience to recognize that the way you're handling this is absolutely appropriate. And the state has not provided a modicum of evidence or statute that supports what they're suggesting should happen. And quite frankly, there isn't a single statute, law, or case that I can identify, judge, that prohibits you from doing exactly what you're doing and I encourage the court to keep the same path and go forward. All right, thanks for the argument, Mr. Pryor. With
4: that, uh, Ms. Blake, if you'd like to make any rebuttal, since I allowed that response, you're allowed a rebuttal if you'd like.
3: Uh, Your Honor, I think I'd just uh, respond briefly and indicate the state in no way believes that it's up to the state whether or not a severance occurs. Um, As we indicated pursuant to Idaho criminal rule 14 and or Idaho criminal rule eight, That decision would be in the discretion of the court. Case law indicates with regard to criminal rule 14 that the burden is on the party bringing the motion. What the state simply indicated is at some point the state may be in a position of believing that a severance is appropriate and requesting that or joining in a request from defense for that. We absolutely recognize that that is within the court's discretion. So I don't want there to be any confusion there. And then just lastly, I know the court and defense already have a copy of the state's motion, so I would indicate that within the state's motion, I think that's where um, we have appropriately identified the applicable statutes as well as case law um, regarding prosecutors having discretion with regard to charging decisions and how um, that has generally been interpreted by the courts, as well as the state's concern with um, the current severance. Uh, or what appears to be a partial severance without any finding that it was improperly joined or a specific finding of any prejudice to one of the parties involved. So I think that's where the state's authority is mostly contained. I just didn't want to argue all of that today where our all of the parties are in possession of that motion at this time.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... <clears throat>
4: Well, I appreciate the arguments on the issue. Council had considered that. I went back and reviewed the order that was entered in the case on August 6th. And the order is pretty clear on the last sentence of the first page that the defendants are joined for purposes of trial pursuant to rule 8B. So the current status quo of the case is that the two defendants in this case, Mr. Daybell, Mrs. Ballow are both joined for trial under 8B. Uh, I uh, appreciate the briefing and the argument and for extensive citations to authority in the state's motion. I've reviewed that and I guess a couple of things I take away from reading through that case law is first, almost all if not all of the citations really deal with the issue of trial. So we're in a case, we're in the pretrial motions phase of a case, Eventually, we get to trial, and most of those citations talk about trials. Joint trials serve the interest of justice by avoiding the scandal and inequity of inconsistent verdicts. That's one of the citations. There's another one talking about joint trials. Uh, There's a multitude of citations to joint trials. One of the cases cited that talks about delay was a delay because there were multiple defendants joined for trial. And some of the defendants were pursuing pretrial motions, which were taking a lot of time to get through the system. Other defendants uh, were ready to go to trial. And the analysis was, is the pretrial litigation of certain defendants creating delays for the other defendants, uh, violating the rights of the defendants want to go forward. And the point there is, again, the defendants are not all going to go through the pretrial motions the same way some may have issues that relate specifically to them others may not and therefore there will be separate hearings separate motions and that's inevitable in practically any case involving co-defendants code uh, the concern about multiple hearings being done needlessly which would be inefficient for me to hold a hearing on the same issue twice. Just because there's two case numbers, I'll point out, that has not happened in this case. That's not going to happen in this case if it can be avoided. But the situation we find ourselves in this case, quite frankly, is a situation that's probably the, the biggest uh, issue that could be raised, which puts these two defendants in a different position. One is not competent and her case is stayed. The other is competent and wants to move forward. And so at this point, the case is still joined under 8B. I I agree there was a single indictment that charged both defendants. Each was assigned a separate case and a separate case number. Each defendant can elect how they wish to defend the charges against them and they don't walk in lockstep on every issue that comes up in the case. They pursue their different remedies they think are available as they see as the case goes along and inevitably, as I mentioned, there's probably gonna be different hearings involving uh, motions that may be only applicable to one of the defendants. So because the case is joined for trial right now, uh, I don't see any reason or need to modify the order. I think the order is in compliance with Rule 8. I don't think there's any indication that the court's made any kind of severance in this case. The assignment of two case numbers does not sever the right of the state to seek a single trial in this case. And I will just note for purposes of setting trial, uh, it's the intention of the court. I am gonna set one trial, one trial for both defendants, and we'll hope that we can get both defendants to trial. But uh, where there's now a delay, and no one knows how long that delay is going to be, at some point we may have to reconsider. All of the cases are pretty clear that while we look at economies and efficiency of having a single trial instead of two that at some point uh, may be outweighed by the substantive due process rights of each individual defendant and severance may need to take place. Hasn't happened in this case, as Mr. Pryor pointed out, there's a pending motion to sever, which will be considered, but the courts made no ruling on that. And so for those reasons, uh, we'll continue as we have been operating the case with these case numbers and with the court's August order remaining in effect. So for those reasons, as stated here on the record, I'm denying the state's motion and uh, that'll be the ruling today. So, Your Honor,
3: if
0: on that.
4: go ahead, and speak. Oh,
3: oh, sorry. Yes, Your Honor, the state does have a question. Will the court be issuing a, a written order with the findings contained in that written order?
4: I'll just uh, issue an order indicating for the reasons stated on the record here, I'm denying the motion. All right, any questions on the ruling, Mr. Pryor?
0: Nothing further,
3: Your Honor, thank you.
4: Okay, Council. thanks for your appearances this afternoon and we'll be in recess. Thank you, Your Honor. You're welcome.
2: Okay. <laughs> well. There you have it. <laughs>
1: there you go. Now uh,
2: was pretty interesting, you know,
1: because yeah. there's still
2: this battle about whether they're going to, when are they going to have the conversation about if they are going to sever these cases? Because that has been filed, and I just don't get, they're arguing over the case, you know, the case numbers and stuff, but yeah, when are they going to actually have the hearing on that severance that... That prior wants. It just is very confusing.
1: I know. Well, but I think, I mean, you know, they're at the end, Prosecutor Blake asking him, you know, will you make an order on that? They're just crossing their eyes or Mm their t's and dotting their eyes, you know. Yeah. Right. I I, I think you're right. They probably knew they would lose this today, you know. Mm -hmm. But they're just making absolutely certain that everything is done by the letter of the law as far as uh You know, because it is their job to protect the rights of everyone involved. So it is. It is. And you're right. Doing their due diligence, but
2: they are. They want to be able to come back. And, you know, if Lori's defense tries to come back on this, Mm -hmm. you know, they can say, hey, look, we tried and this is what the judge said. So Mm -hmm. this was addressed. Uh, Yeah, Tricia. So nothing's changed.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No. Nothing. I don't know. But it's always entertaining to see, uh, you know, Prior, get his ire up like that.
2: <laughs> Dudes must have like really high blood pressure because his face right. gets red so fast that, like, yeah, he goes from fine to not fine real quick.
1: <laughs> right, crossing their eyes, William. I think we all were during yeah. that. Uh... <laughs> and, uh, and yes. I don't think the judge wants to sever the cases. He really doesn't. Mm-mm. He wants to wait this out. See if they can get Laurie spiffed up and ready for court because he really yeah. doesn't want to have to sever their cases.
2: You know, it comes down to cost. The cost. This trial is going to be unbelievably expensive. Mm-hmm. And to do it twice with all the same evidence, all the same expert witnesses, all the same bringing in the FBI and whoever, you know.
1: Well, and it the is. risk because you're bringing in if you do it separately, even if you present the two exact juries. same with two different juries, what if you get two different outcomes? Right. And somebody's coming right on back to court, and yeah. it's not good. It's not good for the case in general.
2: No, no. So it's clear that the prosecutor wants that, and it's pretty clear that the judge wants it, too. Obviously, mm-hmm. Mr. Pryor does not want that. hmm but we don't know if if he's going to have enough evidence to present to show true
1: prejudice or not. Right, because that's what he's saying that uh, mm-hmm. keeping the cases joined is prejudicial to his client's ability to defend himself. That's really only the case in my eyes if Chad is rolling on Lori. You know, right.
2: That's what I think too. That that severing means he's going to, you know, turn evidence, turn state's evidence, basically on her. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm still going to be super surprised if we actually have a real trial for these people. Right. I, I really feel like we're going to see Please. I mean, mm-hmm. the death penalty is on the table. Are they really that dumb? Yeah. But they're pretty dumb. So.
1: Right. I mean, there's been lots of uh, unheard of things happen so far in this trial. So. Yeah, there has.
2: So I guess we'll see. We will just keep chugging along. There there is the the change of venue hearing is coming up in October and it's scheduled for two days. So I think there's going to be a lot going Mm -hmm. on with that. Um, Mm -hmm. I just think, really, don't they need to rule on severance before they rule on change of venue? Yes, Chad can, can make a deal if the cases are joined. Yeah, they's, mm-hmm. You still retain all of your legal rights.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's just that they only want to present all of this to one jury.
1: Right. But see, I mean, think about the challenge here. Bye, Rokehouse. Thanks for being here. Think about the challenge here of, so Prior is getting all of his motions out of the way. He's saying all of his piece. He's getting all the things done he wants to do. Right. Right. Lori's attorneys can't do that because of the stay. I mean, Means tried real hard to do that and finally Mm -hmm. apparently has been shut down. But, you know, and so once Lori's (laughs) spiffed up and back in jail and ready to come to court, then they're going to have to do all of those things. Right. You know, whatever it is that all of the motions that they want to bring. And so it really does make everything last longer. But, you know, but it is the judicial process. I mean, it has to happen. Yeah.
2: Right. Yes, Melissa, they, you know, there was the order to force medication. We don't know from the hospital standpoint what's happening with that, but they do have the right to do it if they want to. Mm -hmm. And you're right, no matter what, life is hell for Lori now, and it will only get worse. Mm -hmm. She's just, you know, in one bad place, headed to some other bad places. Mm -hmm. Well, we shall keep following this crazy train.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Means must be in his office pouting, maybe. Uh, Archibald said he was traveling today, but who knows what he, that
2: means. Who knows, because since Archibald took over, Means doesn't show up in court anymore, which is kind of too bad, because he's always the comic relief in court. <laughs> I mean, Pryor is too, but Means especially, you know, brings mm-hmm. a, a certain amount of comedy. hmm Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: You think she'll turn on him? I don't, Melissa. I think he'll turn on her. But, right, the, yeah, the separation gives them the opportunity. I still think they can, even when the case is joined. I still think that Chad can turn on her. Yeah. Um. But, you know, there's a real desire to try to separate. You notice that a prior called, Lori,
1: Miss, Miss Vallow. Miss such a jerk, Miss Vallow. He is
2: such a such <laughs> a
1: pass. jerk. Uh, we probably won't, William. Uh, he asked if this goes to trial, will we attend? We'll probably do exactly what we're doing here. It gives us better opportunities to offer commentary. Mm-hmm. And uh, at this point, the court there's no trials. Uh, you can't even have a trial right now in Idaho, anyway, because of no. COVID. But even then, it could be a closed venue. I don't Plus- know.
2: Plus, it's there's a change of venue, which likely is going to put it. If it if it heads to Boise, it's five hours away from us. Yeah. So we're likely going to just live stream.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It would be very interesting to get to sit in, but we haven't had that opportunity. This whole thing has been going on through COVID, so we haven't had an opportunity to go mm-hmm. to any court. So.
1: No. Well, and the, when they did have an open courtroom, you know, like when Lori first got extradited. It was an absolute zoo at the courthouse. That was at Madison County Courthouse. But you guys got to understand, these are small towns with small courthouses. The courtrooms only hold, you know, a small number of people. There's just not the, uh, you know, the the amphitheater needed. Yes, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) For these uh, events at this point. So we probably won't. But then again, you never know what could change in the future. You know, I'll tell you what just, I'd like to um, attend is the sentencing. Yeah. I don't even care. I'd rather do live stream this. Uh, I would love to attend the sentencing.
2: Yes. The sentencing but again, be very I interesting. don't know.
1: I, I think one mm. thing we need to do, and this is really just a, a clerical thing for us, is we really need to uh, obtain press uh, credentials so that we, we do. have an easier time going to things like that. Yeah. Yeah. But that's interesting. Us. <laughs> yeah. We could, we just haven't, but
2: yeah, we need to get that done. Moonbeam says I think this is the most they've spoken in public recently that wasn't sidebar or in private. Correct, right? Ooh. Like we actually saw a whole ear- hearing that wasn't behind closed doors. Mhm. Yeah. Not freaking time.
1: Melissa, you would think so, right? She says there's no one on God's green earth who doesn't know this case. You would think so, but I'll tell you something. My kids live in Boise. And when they talk about this case with their professors, at work, with people they know, they have been shocked at how many people do not know this case.
2: hmm Yeah. That's why we think that's probably where they'll move it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Right, Willie? Yeah, we would like to witness the resolution for the families. Yeah. We really would. For sure. But we'll see. We're such a long ways from that now. Who knows? Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Well, and depending on what goes on with Lori here in the next six months as well, I mm-hmm. my gut feeling is that the prosecution really doesn't think it's going to take six months. Mm-hmm. I suspect that they think that with uh, forced medication here and really getting her on target, that we're only a few months away from seeing her prepared to come back. Yeah. that That's my gut feeling on the way they're moving forward, but we'll mm-hmm.
2: see. I think you're right. <laughs>
1: It would be yeah. ironic if they held court at BYU Idaho Auditorium to accommodate the crowds.
2: <laughs> oh my God. I
1: love you because I yes, have the exact same thought. <laughs> Which they uh, would love you. Could you imagine? They, the but that would be hilarious. Because <laughs> that holds like 35,000 people, I think. But yeah. anyway, I have the same thought. It's hilarious. But <laughs> mm-hmm. what do you think is going through Kay's mind with all of this? I think Kay is so exhausted. Mm. And so sick of Lori and her bullshit and all of this. But I also think that, you know, they have been cautioned that this is all going to take a really long time and to really take a deep breath and take a step back and let the process Uh play out. I also feel like they are being constantly kept abreast in the uh, wings, you know, so that they have some peace of mind. I, I feel like Kay and Larry are absolutely confident that Lori and Chad will never see the light of day again. I, yeah. I feel like they're absolutely confident of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were all for the death penalty for both of them. Yeah, they were. Yeah.
2: They were, and I imagine they're trying to take this time to grieve and heal. You know, when these th- kinds of things happen, it takes away the time that people get and the funerals and all the things that happen that give people a chance to, to grieve and begin to recover, and they in some way, have got to be trying to do that, even though they haven't been able to have funerals.
1: I'm sure it's hard because I'm sure not a day goes by that there's not some contact with them
2: yeah. uh, from someone. about the news place. stories and, you know, it's 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 everywhere.
1: Yeah, it's inescapable for them, I'm sure. Yeah, and I just always worry about Larry's health, you know. Mm, when they were yeah. here, so they came to Rexburg, they flew into town when Lori was uh, supposed to return the kids. So this was clear back in January of 2019 when, or 2020, 2020, 2020, when Lori had been court ordered to show up by a certain date, by the end of January with the kids. Right. And what Lori didn't know is that there was a protective order that had been, or an emergency order that had been prepared by the department of health and welfare to uh, turn J.J. over to his grandparents as soon as she turned, you know, got to town with him. Yeah. And so they were here, ready for her to come back, and they were ready to take custody of J.J., which, of course, didn't happen uh, because she didn't show up, and, of course, because J.J. was deceased at that point. But they were here in town. It was a real... The first, the beginning of the media circus here in Rexburg when that happened. Mm -hmm. And we attended, my daughter and I attended the press conference uh, directly after that. So she was supposed to be here by five o'clock on Friday of that week. She did not come. So shortly after that, they did a press conference at the Rexburg Standard Journal uh, newspaper office. And Larry was so upset and so stressed at that point that he had to go to the hotel and lay down. He wasn't even yeah. at the press conference. No. And poor Kay was just shouldering it by herself. And every time you see Larry, he and, and it was because his blood pressure was so high because he was so stressed out and upset from what was happening. And I he is one. I, I look at Larry every time we see him in the news and every time something else moves forward here and just wonder... How is his yeah. health handling this? Because yeah,
2: he, this he's has been struggling. super hard on yeah. him.
1: I, I hope he's okay. But that—that uh, that was just our first kind of peek at that and how hard this was, you know, on him physically. And that's not even to mention poor Kay because she's shouldered a lot of it on her own. But
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, ugh. What do we think of the laundry kid hiding out?
2: <laughs> we can talk more about that in our <laughs> update tonight.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We'll be back actually at seven for our regularly scheduled case updates. There's quite a bit that's happened in the laundry and uh, potato case since we were uh, reported on it last, and so mm-hmm. we'll talk about that. There's been quite the war of the attorneys going on today, and we'll talk about that and uh, yeah. all of that stuff. Yeah. Oh yes, I saw that. His his family owns a business, and uh, there's a million one star reviews now. <laughs>
2: Yeah, they nobody likes the
1: America. laundry family these days. Wonder why, Imagine that. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, okay. Well, you guys, thank you for joining us, and we'll keep a finger on this. So, at this point, as far as we know, according to the register of actions in Ch- Chad's case, there is still a January 30th priest trial scheduled at 9.30 mm-hmm. a.m. So if that actually happens, we'll be here. It -hmm. won't really be a pretrial now. I think it was just a kind of a check-in. That may or may not actually happen. That could be vacated. And then on 10-5, there is the motion for change of venue. And that is scheduled for two days, actually. Yeah. That will be very interesting. And, of course, we'll be here for that. 7-30 Central. I think it's 8-30 Central, William. I think. We're Mountain.
2: Yeah, so I think we're it's, only an
1: hour apart.
2: So it's seven Mountain, yeah. so it would be eight Central. Is when we'll be back for our for our live update with everything.
1: Yeah. Oh, th- this evening? No, he's talking about. Uh, sorry, he's talking oh, about sorry. the uh, the pretrial on the thirtieth. It's oh. at nine thirty a.m. Mountain, so I think that's just it'd, an hour.
2: Yeah, it'd be ten thirty Central would be 10 30 central. <laughs> Don't Pacific listen. would be I know nothing.
1: <laughs> yeah, it'd be 10 Okay. Very good. Okay. <laughs> it's 3 45 here right now, if that helps at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's my- Oh, AF said, I wonder if the queen is blaming Satan for all of this. I suspect that's true. I was thinking oh, about I- that too. Because mm-hmm. in Mormon speak, they say the adversary. Yes. And so when things, uh, you know, get in your way or come up on your path, there's a lot of conversations about, you know, the, the adversary preventing you from or challenging you or whatnot. So mm-hmm. I'm going to assume that they are talking about the, uh, Yeah, that's how they're referring to uh, the adversary, yeah, got in the way of gathering the 144,000. Yeah. Yep. I would imagine. Will the funeral have to wait until after the case is finished? No. No, it won't. And they had said at one point that they were going to do... Um, a funeral in Arizona and also a memorial service here in Rexburg that hasn't happened. And I, it's Mm -hmm. not because of the case. I think it's just because of the utter fatigue of of the victim families. Yeah. Yeah. If that ever does happen, of course, we will cover the memorial here in town. Yeah. Um, I will tell you that there is still a small uh, memorial hanging across the street from where the kids were found. You know, there was initially everybody plastered the fence with so much, uh, you know, stuff. And right. then after a the time that all came down and there was a big argument about whether uh, the county did that or prior ordered for that to happen or if the family did it or, you know, there was lots of arguments about it. But the neighbor across the street who had had a fight with Chad, <laughs> this, you guys, this is so early in this case. And I don't know what you guys remember or don't, but. There were some women here in town that had these T-shirts printed that were white. And then in big black letters, they said, where are the kids? And they were wearing them all over town. And then they started hammering them with nails to power poles and stuff like that around the uh, around Chad's house to <laughs> haze him. So, so great. They had put one up on a post in front of his, the lady right across the street from him, across the street from the canal. So across the street from his uh, his his pasture where the kids were found. Um, anyway, they had hung one there with her permission. And then uh, this was before the kids were found. So then she caught Chad out there trying to pull it down. And she went out there and told him to get the hell off her property. And that's staying <laughs> mm-hmm. I love it so anyway after I uh, the kids were found and you know everything came off the fence and blah 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 she offered a portion of her property for a memorial to remain and I just drove past there a few days ago and there's still quite a bit of stuff up in fact I think people put new stuff up because you know we just passed uh Tylee's death date and I think is today JJ's or tomorrow
2: Today or tomorrow?
1: Today or tomorrow. Yeah. So as people are marking, uh, you know, the kids' death dates and their birth dates, they're going out and putting more stuff up. So it remains. Next time I go past, I'll take a picture and share it on Facebook for you guys.
2: Yeah.
1: Oh, there we go. If it was a local trial, we could make money renting room and board to the press, right? They don't want to stay at my house. Unfortunately, my pigs would be a problem.
2: (laughs) They would. It's true.
1: I promise they would definitely leave their bedroom door open and the pigs would go rifle through their bags and eat all their cigarettes or (laughs) they've done to other guests at my house. But (laughs) I don't know if you know that Lydia, but I have many pigs that uh, live in my house and uh, yeah, they are like living with belligerent toddlers forever. And we deal with them. We like them a lot, but uh, no one else will (laughs) want to live with them. (laughs) It's true. Yorks. All righty. Well, hey, we're going to cut here. We'll be back at 7 Mountain for case updates. So, yeah, we do have uh, probably not anything now in Daybell, but we do have, you'd like to see the piggies? Melissa, you could come over here anytime and and meet them and (laughs) let them be rude to you, too. But (laughs) I'll post a video. I'll try and get a video together this afternoon and share it tonight in case updates. How's that? Yeah. They're really needy and mad because it's cold outside. So we've had a lot of interactions the last few days.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: You have COVID. Don't come over here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry you have COVID. My God. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, if you need anything, we'll leave it on your doorstep. Let us know. There you go. Knock and run. All right. So we'll be back again. We have some laundry updates. We are laundry. 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 Yep. Uh, and some other things. There's actually been quite a bit going on besides Gabby's case, but she's just, mm-hmm. you know, taken the forefront. Um, there was a shooting just uh, less than a mile from my house. Uh, and There is a few updates on that we'll share. There's stuff going on. We'll talk about it. Yep. Alrighty, guys. This has been yet another production of True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. Take care. Bye, guys.